the perfect Chinese who are rich enough to buy Tesla, mm -hmm. but not uh, smart enough uh, to compete with with uh, mm -hmm. Tesla. Mm -hmm. uh, they want uh, the Chinese to be rich enough to buy an iPhone, but not uh, smart enough to make uh, Xiaomi and so on. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today, we welcome to The Bridge a noted columnist, blogger, and podcaster of issues of geopolitics and economics whose published works can be found on The Global Times, Sputnik, News India, Xinhua's Global Link, Ai Chongqing's Global Vision, BNN Breaking News, DD Geopolitical Podcast, and more. Uh, welcome to The Bridge, S.L. Kantan. Thank you so much, Jason. It's my pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. As you know, I'm, I like probably all of your posts on X. You post some very fascinating material, a lot of data, a lot of economic insights. Uh, I'm absolutely a giant fan of yours. I'm happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, so I think we both are very uh, yeah. similar in that sense, uh, because <laughs> I like all your posts, and your posts are very factual with a lot of charts mm. and graphs and numbers. Yeah, we, so I, it's really a page. lot easier to understand the world through data than just someone's opinion sometimes. So it's nice to have all of that data available. Uh, we'd like to learn more about you. You know, I know you've traveled a lot because I've seen pictures of you in L.A. with Julia Stiles. Uh, you've mentioned an online traveling to a lot of other places. Can you tell us a little bit about your global travels? Sure. Um, so I guess I have a uh, travel bug. I've been to about 40 countries in uh, 40. Yeah, in uh, the U.S., Latin America, Europe, Africa, uh, uh, Asia. Um, so I've been uh, to rich countries and uh, poor countries. So uh, uh, people ask me, what is your uh, favorite country? You know, but I like them all uh, because mm. uh, wherever I go, I have a lot of fun uh, learning about uh, the culture and the people. And if you uh, send me to North Korea next week, I'm sure that I'll have a blast, <laughs> you know. So uh, the best way to learn, you know, so not just about uh, geopolitics, but in general, the best way to learn in life, I think, is uh, to travel because you learn that there are so many ways for, you know, I mean, in life uh, to do things uh, uh, differently and uh, to think differently, you know. So you go to a new country, they speak a different language, they dress differently, they have uh, different food, uh, they have different ways of uh, uh, doing things, you know, whether it's uh, the political system or something, uh, the buildings are different, the streets are different, the, uh, the furniture is uh, different. And in terms of thinking, you know, I think uh, mm. that's also very important because you see how what uh, people uh, value in their life, uh, what life means to them, the family values, uh, the society, patriotism, and uh, the way they solve problems, or even uh, uh, the sense of humor uh, can vary from country to country. So that's wonderful. Mm. And also uh, the history, I think it's, you know, uh, but looking at all uh, the geopolitical changes that are happening right now, mm -hmm. I think uh, the sense of history is very different, mm -hmm. you know. So, for example, like, well, if you go to Rome and you see all these beautiful palaces and uh, churches and uh, the Colosseums, and then you wonder what happened to uh, the Roman Empire, mm -hmm. you know, and then you look at uh, the U.S. in uh, some sense. Sense, it's very much like uh, the Roman Empire mm -hmm. in uh, the last stages in terms of wars, uh, the debt, uh, the bread and circuses. So in uh, some sense, I wish that 
uh, like more Americans would learn history and they would go uh, to Budapest, to, uh, you know, Rome, Istanbul, uh, Xi'an. And then they learned that, hey, you know, this is a cycle of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the empires come and uh, the empires go. And uh, people make the same mistakes over mm-hmm. and over, which is kind of sad, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, people don't learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, the thing is uh, that nobody is uh, perfect, you know. So no society is perfect. No country is perfect. But we have to take the best, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I see like in on uh, social media, a lot of people just only focus on the bad things about China, mm-hmm. you know. So I say, well, you know, uh, so take the best, you know, like because there's so much to learn from China. There are so many good things about China. So why don't you just focus on what's good? You learn from that and then you uh, better yourself, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, uh, because especially, you know, uh, 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 the two things that really bother me are one is uh, xenophobia mm-hmm. on social media. My God, uh, the things that people say about China, Russia, it's just shocking, you know, uh, because I've been to both uh, Russia and uh, to Ukraine mm-hmm. and I liked uh, both countries, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, the people in uh, both countries were so wonderful. So, and then I see on social media, you know, uh, people from Ukraine have so much hatred mm-hmm. towards Russia. So that's sad. And then it's also about uh, wars, you know. Uh, the next uh, biggest possible war <laughs> is going to be between uh, the U.S. and China. <laughs> and and I see uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, they know what's happening around the world, you know. Uh, the Chinese have been to the U.S., uh, the Chinese have been to Australia, <laughs> uh, the U.K., Europe, and all of that. And they understand both parts of the world. <laughs> but then you look at uh, the U.S., um, you know, uh, most people have never been to China and they have so many misconceptions mm. and fear and paranoia. So so I would say uh, the traveling is uh, one thing the world needs the most. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. When I talk with other uh, world travelers like Cyrus Jansen, you know, the idea of people to people exchanges, not government to government exchanges, but people traveling to other countries keeps coming up again and again and again as one of the best ideas of all the people I keep interviewing. So I would love to see more Americans come to China, come to India, come to Europe, travel around the world, get to see it for themselves, because I think a lot of the misconceptions that they hear in media will be dispelled by just stepping off the plane. But you talk about China a lot online, as I do. I was wondering, where have you been in China and what did you think of the places that you have been? Sure. Uh, So, uh, well, I had a lot of misconceptions about uh, China. I thought it was a very poor country, very dirty country, very boring country that everybody is just working in factories. There's nothing else, you know. So I went to China in uh, 2019, around uh, the December time. So I went to Xi'an, Shanghai, and uh, Beijing. And it just uh, blew my mind away in like the first uh, one day, you know. I'm like, wow, Mm. this is so modern, so high-tech, so uh, uh, clean, safe, well-organized, and uh, things get done so fast and efficient. Um, And it was like a beautiful uh, blend of modernity and uh, history. And, you know, so I thought it was like, you know, like you took Mm. London and you took Rome and you mixed those two cities and you get Beijing. Wow. (laughs) Yes. That's so I mean, I got to uh, Xi'an very late at night. And then I woke up around 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. and I was staying at this uh, Sheraton, I believe, which is a uh, perfect location in uh, the whole of Xi'an on that uh, big uh, plaza that's like maybe uh, one mile long. Mm-hmm. So I just uh, I walked over mm-hmm. to uh, the plaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing I noticed was it was so clean. It was a huge plaza, massive, massive plaza. 
but it was so impeccable. I mean, uh, you could have had like an omelet on the plaza. (laughs) (laughs) There was like no piece of paper, no can, not even like a leaf. And (laughs) and it was pretty much uh, the experience uh, but throughout my journey, you know, it's mm. very uh, with clean streets, very uh, with clean parks, sidewalks, buildings, everything is so clean. And uh, that's something I really appreciated. Um, mm. And then just um, uh, the high tech, you know, I uh, mm. f- uh, flew to Shanghai after, oh, in uh, in uh, Xi'an, I went to all uh, the museums, you know, and there's mm-hmm. so much history in China, right? And it just it blew my mind away. Mm. I mean, you go to the museums, you see, you know, they're like, oh, and uh, uh, this is something from uh, 2000 BC. 4000 BC mm. and you look at uh, the technology you know 4000 BC uh, technology was just amazing I'm like man I cannot believe they did mm. this like you know 5000 6000 years ago uh, because I could not do this mm. in uh, uh, 2023 on my own <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah that's interesting that's an interesting point yeah I love you know the museum what I find interesting I'm not sure um, what in museums are like in India, but in the United States, museums are empty. Like there are very few people there, but I go to museums and they're like stuffed with people. I'm always surprised at how many Chinese people are interested in history, how popular going to museums is. Yes. Uh, Well, you stole my point. Uh, That was my uh, next thing I was going (laughs) to say. I was so surprised, you know, how so many people and especially uh, the young people, you know, Mm. uh, because if you find like a 40, 50 year old person, you can say, okay, I I guess I understand they like history. (laughs) But these are like, you know, small kids, uh, 10, 12, and they have so much curiosity and they talk so much about each uh, the artifact i was like wow uh, china has a bright future they have such good kids and uh some kids like in uh xi'an you know uh the kids who are like uh 15 16 they travel in uh groups and uh, when they see me uh, they would just uh, walk up to me and they would be like hi where are you from we want to uh practice uh, uh, i mean uh, english and uh, we would talk for like uh 15 20 minutes uh, they would ask mm. very smart questions, you know. They would be like, uh, what do you like about <laughs> China? Uh, what do you not like mm. about China? Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. One of the things that I notice in the media a lot, we discuss this a lot online, is most Western media publications say very negative things about China's economy specifically. But also there are a lot of politicians in the U.S. who love to talk about how amazing the U.S. economy is. Specifically, Yellen recently called America the winner of GDP growth in 2023. So I was wondering, how do you see China's economic prospects? You know, as I'm very uh, bullish on China, so uh, because... Okay, so uh, uh, first of all, uh, the Western media and uh, politicians and uh, the establishment, uh, they have been underestimating China for the last, I mean, at least uh, 25 years. You You, uh, go back and read the great think tankers like uh, Gerald Siegel from 1998, and and he goes, uh, what is China? China is nothing. It's just a mid-power. It has no GDP. It has no trade, no technology. Technology, no diplomatic power. They don't have a future. They might be like a regional power, but they will no way they're going to become a uh, global power. You know. And then you fast forward now, it's just mind-blowing what they've done. And they have a real economy. It's based on uh, the industrial uh, production. Mm. And uh, uh, this is how uh, the U.S. was in the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is how uh, Germany was in the late 19th Mm -hmm. century. And uh, this is uh, the secret sauce, you know. So, like, if you go read uh, the U.S. history, they built uh, the railways, you know, and uh, they had uh, real manufacturing and 
uh, the U.S. actually, they stole a lot of, you know, patents uh, from England and all of that <laughs> uh, uh, because they knew, you know, uh, people like uh, Hamilton, mm-hmm. you know, they fully understood the need for a solid economy based on production. Mm-hmm. And that's what China is uh, doing. And uh, China has constantly uh, climbed up the value chain in manufacturing. You know, so many people on social media, they still talk about, you know, slave labor in China. I'm like, man, come on. Have you seen like the factories, the bite factories and all of that in China? It's all like huge robots, you mm-hmm. know, making bing, 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 bing. And like uh, the Maidea, I mean, is that uh, uh, the right way to say it? Uh, I'm not actually sure. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, you know, uh, they are one of the largest, um, I mean, uh, the household appliance Mm. uh, manufacturers in China. So uh, there was a uh, video that I posted on Twitter. And they make like uh, 15 uh, uh, washing machines. Mm. Oh, sorry. Uh, One washing machine per 15 seconds. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, China plans so much in advance, Mm. you know. They plan five years, 10 years, 15 years. And these are very smart people, Mm. right? They all have PhDs in engineering and all of that. And they don't have to please the masses. Uh, Xi Jinping uh, doesn't have to have uh, slogans, you know, like every six months. Uh, He doesn't have to play uh, the divide and rule in China. Uh, They want actually uh, the country to be united, Mm -hmm. you know, so they want one China, one focus. And you have the the government, the corporations and people, they all uh, look at in the uh, same direction. They row the boats in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, like, if I may, you know, people may say, oh, but China has slowed down. You know, so uh, last year, uh, China's uh, GDP growth was uh, 5.2%. So that is so much uh, bigger than uh, the uh, G7 economies, you Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, China's economy could easily have been uh, 7.5%, you know. And uh, the reason that it was only 5.2% is that you have to see what has happened in the last five years. Mm -hmm. So uh, the U.S. started off with uh, the tariffs, Mm -hmm. uh, the trade tariffs. So uh, Trump imposed 25% tariffs on all Chinese goods coming to the U.S. That had a a huge impact. And then uh, worse than uh, the tariffs are the sanctions. You know, uh, the U.S. has uh, placed 1,000 Chinese companies and Mm -hmm. uh, the institutions under U.S. sanctions. So uh, it means uh, China cannot uh, sell products to the U.S., China cannot uh, buy uh, the components, uh, software, hardware from the U.S. And worse, what happens with uh, the U.S. sanctions is that all of uh, the allies, uh, they have to obey the U.S. sanctions. Right. So mm-hmm. when uh, the U.S. Uh, f- first placed uh, sanctions on uh, Huawei, Huawei said, OK, no problem. We will sell our uh, 5G, uh, the infrastructure to uh, the rest of the world. Then uh, people like uh, Trump's uh, secretary of state. What is his name? I forgot. Uh, the CIA director. Yeah. Oh, uh, Mike Pompeo. Mm-hmm. You know, so he traveled all over Europe mm-hmm. and he forced uh, the Europeans to not to buy Huawei mm. and then uh, to rip off uh, the existing Huawei. Such, you know, I mean, like, these are all blatant violations of uh, free trade, WTO rules, you know, like you cannot just pick on one nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's against all the rules. And then Huawei said, okay, fine, we cannot uh, sell uh, to Europe and to U.S., and we will uh, sell to the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. and uh, we'll make our own chips. Mm. And then uh, what did uh, the U.S. do? They went uh, to Netherlands, and they, oh, uh, they uh, they went to uh, the TSMC and Mm -hmm. Samsung, and they said, uh, don't make chips 
for uh, Huawei. Mm. So then uh, uh, they had to obey the U.S. sanctions and uh, they could not make the chips for Huawei. So then Huawei said, okay, fine. You know, so I cannot uh, sell you guys chips and you won't uh, make me chips. Let me make my own chips. Right. So the, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, so then they said, okay, uh, we will buy uh, the uh, semiconductor manufacturing equipment from uh, the Netherlands, uh, uh, the ASML, and then we'll make our own chips. And guess what happened? Uh, the yeah. U.S. Uh, banned the Netherlands from selling the equipment that make the chips. So, like all sorts of these uh, mm. sanctions are the reason why China's economy is only 5.2%. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you didn't, you know, like if you uh, followed uh, the true uh, principles of uh, f- free trade, then China would uh, still be growing at like maybe 9%, you know, because I uh, would think of uh, how many smartphones that, uh, sh- you know, a Xiaomi would be able to sell in the U.S. Hmm. I think uh, how many Huawei, Maidea, uh, the Hikvision, all sorts of uh, uh, companies would have a huge market in the U.S. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, uh, the cars, right? I mean, uh, so uh, with Tesla, uh, uh, so Musk, he said a few days ago, uh, we need more trade barriers on the Chinese cars Mm. Uh, because else uh, they will just uh, crush all the competition in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was so pathetic because uh, Tesla can uh, build in China Mm -hmm. and they can uh, sell cars in China. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they sell uh, pretty much almost as many cars in China as they do in uh, the U.S., Mm. So uh, last year, Tesla sold like 600,000 Tesla cars in China. You know, I see them everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, why doesn't he say, hey, uh, let uh, buy, uh, build uh, factories in the U.S. Mm. and uh, sell cars in the U.S. Mm. And uh, that would be uh, like, or I think of like uh, Wooling, you know, uh, the little uh, tiny car for uh, yeah, $5,000, yeah. $6,000. That would be so helpful mm. to uh, so many Americans. You know, mm. there are a lot of uh, working class Americans mm. who would really benefit from uh, having a car that's like maybe six thousand seven thousand dollars yeah well tata was supposed to do that india's tata was was trying to do that 10 years ago make tiny cars for you know a different part of the you know income scale but it didn't take off oh yeah you're listening to the bridge I would say a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, we were at a low point between the U.S. and and China. And obviously, the U.S. diplomacy with China, as you've pointed out, affects dozens of other countries that are basically forced to listen to the U.S. But we had visits by Blinken, Yellen, Governor Newsom, and we had President Xi visit to San Francisco, Wang Yi's visit to Washington, D.C. And before that, we had Tim Cook, Elon Musk, and others coming to China. Um, Where do you see better prospects for increased diplomacy between the U.S. and China? Yeah, so uh, this is going to be very tough, Jason, uh, because it's just that, you know, there is one uh, rising power and there is a a status quo power. And if you look at uh, Mm. the history of the world, uh, there has been uh, pretty much almost uh, no situation where the status quo power said, okay, you win, (laughs) I will just uh, hand over, you know, uh, the crown to you. May I interrupt? Because, you know, I've, I've heard that argument from the professor at Harvard who who talks about, what is it, Thucydides trap or what, however it's pronounced. Thucydides but, trap, um, yeah. My feeling is that it did happen at least one time because as the British Empire was falling, the Brits kind of tied their boats to the U.S., and then the U.S. rose and England kind of just died, stayed stuck to the side of it. And that did work out. So I'm hopeful that maybe the United States could say, hey, you know, maybe we are losing some of our economic power. And maybe we should be tying our boats to China. Um, that's my dream. That's my dream anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the one. Uh, yes, uh, that's a good point. But uh, the difference is that, you know, Britain and uh, the U.S., they share the same language. Uh, 
their culture and uh, they feel like you know brothers you know so um and uh, what happened was they kind of uh, uh, like merged you know i mean it was like uh, the mergers and acquisition so uh, the us <laughs> the empire they just uh, slowly took over the british empire and uh then you know uh, the cia and uh, the mi6 they kind of merged and you have the uh, five eyes right so from uh, the elite's point of view uh, the intelligence point of view it was a very uh, uh, peaceful merger you know and uh, they have the same uh, banking you know uh, uh, the aristocracy uh, the corporations uh so i think uh that was uh like you know as i don't see that happening with uh, the us and china you know because uh fundamentally they are very different uh, system right in uh, the us who rules the us it's uh, the corporations right uh, they control all the politicians uh, they have the lobbying power they control the media uh, the media can uh, destroy the politician uh, the military uh, the, uh, the industrial complex is basically one big uh, of a corporation right but in china it's the opposite it's uh, the government mm-hmm. that uh, sits above uh, the corporations so the government says well listen hey guys uh, we're not here just to make money okay so we are here uh, to prosper as a nation we have to take care of 1.4 billion people we have a uh, vision for uh, the country you know so like if you look at uh, the banking statement this is like the perfect example you know so you take a look at say um, the annual shareholders uh, uh, the newsletter or uh, whatever they call it of uh, JP Morgan versus say Bank of China mm-hmm. you know so JP Morgan mm-hmm. would be like we gave uh, 15 billion dollars back to our shareholders in the form of uh, stock buybacks and dividends and our stock price went up by 30% last year uh, but even though the gdp grew only like 1% you know and then you look at um the uh, statements from uh, bank of china it's very different you know they're like we spent 40 billion dollars on uh, rural development we spent uh, you know 70 <laughs> billion dollars on poverty alleviation we gave so many loans to uh, the manufacturing sector it's like a very very different philosophy So uh, theoretically yes I would like uh, the US and uh, China to sit down and uh, to create a new framework mm. for the world you know a new security mm. framework a new economic framework and there is a lot for uh, the US to uh, benefit from as well because uh, right now the US mm. is just wasting money on wars just endless mm. perpetual wars it's really bad for the us it's really bad for americans mm-hmm. and it can uh, sit with china and uh, create a new peaceful century for uh, the 21st century you know mm-hmm. so the us should Absolutely. join the belt and road initiative and maybe uh, china should come to the us and build all the, the bridges uh, the highways <laughs> the airports well i mean the new bay bridge in san francisco in fact was built by china and then sent to the united states and erected there so you know i think the united states a lot of its largest bridge projects in fact do come from china already oh yeah you're listening to the bridge i want to switch switch gears again because you know, it's rare i have someone from india here so Uh, Sino-Indian relations are another sensitive area, and India is a member of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the BRICS, not BRI, and not the RCEP, the trade uh, zone, which includes Australia, which is unusual, in, in, but I'm really happy that Australia and China are in the same trade block. India also seems to be courting uh, stronger military ties with the U.S. simultaneously, so the relationship is extremely complex and it's difficult to understand outside of india what's actually going on so i'm i'm curious what do you see are prospects for deepening cooperation between india and china yeah that's again a big uh, question uh and is very uh, complex 
So I hope that India and China would uh, figure out a way uh, to coexist, you know. And it's uh, kind of sad because if you look at the last uh, 2000 years, then these two civilizations had uh, very good relations, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but 2000 years ago, the uh, Chinese boats would come all the way to uh, the southern uh, tip of India and they would mm-hmm. uh, d- uh, drop off all their goods like, uh, you know, uh, silk, uh, porcelain, tea, whatever. And then uh, the Indian ships would uh, would take that to uh, the Roman Empire, you know. So they would uh, follow uh, the monsoon winds. So uh, mm-hmm. they would have these uh, uh, big sails and it would just uh, uh, push the boats uh, straight uh, uh, to uh, the, uh, the African part of the area. And then there would be uh, the camels that would uh, would take them across the uh, what is now uh, the Suez Canal, and then uh, mm-hmm. from there it would go to Rome. So uh, the Romans they uh, were never knew you know how uh, silk was made, you know, uh, because they had uh, you know so many uh, the middlemen between uh, China mm-hmm. and uh, Italy. So they thought that uh, uh, silk actually it uh, uh, grew on the trees. <laughs> <laughs> so we had very good relations. Um, you know, when I went to uh, Xi'an, I went to this uh, Buddhist uh, temple and there was this huge uh, uh, statue of uh, mm-hmm. Buddha uh, 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 made out of uh, gold. And uh, that was uh, and that was actually brought from wow. India around uh, 380. So, uh, you know, uh, whenever wow. I meet a uh, Chinese person, I feel like we share the same values. You know, we think the same, we act the same. We have very similar values about education, family, uh, the culture, tradition, and all of that. And I can very easily relate to that, you know. So uh, so from that point of view, we should be closer. But, you know, so uh, you have the uh, geopolitical tension, you know. So there is uh, the struggle with uh, spheres of influence. So, well, India wants to be kind of uh, the daddy of all the, you know, small countries around, like Nepal, Bhutan, Sri Lanka, Maldives, mm-hmm. and so on. But, you know, it's uh, very hard for those countries uh, to be just uh, one-sided, you know. Uh, they have the right to have a, a strategic autonomy, mm-hmm. you know. Just like uh, we have a strategic relations mm-hmm. between both uh, Russia as well as the U.S., because we cannot, uh, we cannot afford mm-hmm. uh, 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 to become uh, the enemy of uh, Russia. Uh, we tell Americans, hey, mm-hmm. we have the right to have strategic autonomy, okay? So don't try to uh, force us into uh, taking sides, okay? Uh, but then the same logic applies to all mm-hmm. India's neighbors. So the, uh, there's no reason uh, that Nepal mm. should just be 100% uh, pro-India and be against China. Uh, because, you know, for one, from a very practical point of view, the uh, Chinese have more money, okay, and they have more skills. You know, if uh, Nepal comes to <laughs> India and says, hey, guys, uh, build a railway, uh, we will take like uh, but 10 years and then uh, China will do it in uh, one year, you know. So there's no reason why they're going mm. to be against China. So I think that India should uh, work out mm-hmm. because China is a very wise country, you know. So they have 5,000 years of uh, the experience mm-hmm. with the dynasties. And uh, they fully understand uh, geopolitics. Uh, so they don't want to force India. Uh, they don't want to start a f- you know, fight with India with the 1.4 billion people. And uh, so they want uh, to coexist. But they want to uh, resolve the issues. And I think uh, we'll be able to do it. Now, uh, the problem, you know, why we have a very hard time making peace with China is because of the U.S., you know, uh, because if you look at all the Indian uh, uh, the elites, you know, whether it's uh, the engineers or the economists, 
uh, what do they do? Uh, they go to the U.S. You know, they go study at, you know. So for them, uh, the, uh, the yeah, dream right. come yeah. true of the smartest person in India is to go study at Stanford, study at uh, Harvard, you know. And then their life is so blissful. So, and then they go to the U.S. And of course, they're going to get all these, uh, the neoliberal training at, uh, you know, Stanford, Columbia, Yale, whatever. And they learn the wonders of uh, financialization. And then they come back and tell Indians, guys, forget about manufacturing. We need to focus on the stock market. Okay, that's where the money is. So if you look at, uh, you know, China's uh, stock market valuation, it's like one third of the GDP. And uh, for us, it's 100 mm. percent. Uh, so it's actually uh, the uh, stock market valuation in India mm. is actually a bit larger than India's GDP. Well, can I ask on I want to ask a question specifically about this, because. You know, 30 years ago, like you said, 25 years ago, people in the United States and the West, they underestimated China and they didn't think that it was capable of the feats that it has accomplished. In a way, India jumped over manufacturing straight into advanced goods, software, you know, very advanced technical finance. But it is possible that India does develop out in the way that China has. No? What What are your thoughts? Can India uh, emulate some of China's successes in the coming decade or two? Uh, I would say it's 50-50. Uh, hmm. Because uh, theoretically speaking, we have uh, the demographic dividend uh, the median age is only like 28. So we have a lot of young people and uh, uh, the wages are much cheaper than uh, China, maybe like one fourth or one fifth of China. But, you know, uh, but you have to see what China did 30 years ago. You know, they started to move hundreds of millions of people from villages to the cities. Uh, the urbanization project, right? Uh, we are not uh, doing that so well in India. We still have 900 million people living in the rural areas. So to move those people, you need to build cities, you need to build uh, highways, you need to provide electricity. So for example, if you look at uh, the electricity production in India, it's one-sixth of that of China, you know, so uh, very much the same ratio as uh, the GDP. Mm -hmm. so, there, so there's a lot of uh, the infrastructure things that India needs to do, and we need to do it fast, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, 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 things happen at a very slow pace in India, you know. So, like, uh, uh, you know, for example, like uh, last year, as you posted on uh, Twitter, uh, uh, China's uh, uh, solar, uh, the new capacity, uh, the addition was about uh, with two hundred gigawatts. Yeah. Uh, so, guess uh, what was it for India? It was about seven gigawatts. Seven gigawatts. So seven versus mm. two hundred. So that's the kind of scale mm. and speed we need to learn from China. Mm. Uh, the problem in India is uh, a lot of people don't like any uh, criticism. So like if I go on uh, Twitter and I say, "Hey guys, we should do this, you know, better. We should uh, follow China," mm. uh, then I get attacked. You know, you are a CCP <laughs> agent. Yeah, I have the same problem trying to convince. Americans to build better infrastructure, I get the same attacks. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Let's switch gears again. What do you think is right or wrong with U.S. media coverage of China? So do we have like an hour? <laughs> Sorry, we're going to so, have only a few minutes, but maybe just the highlights. <laughs> So, I mean, first thing is they're just blind, you know, uh, you cannot be blind as a journalist, mm. you know, so you have to see the truth objectively. Mm. You cannot be like uh, Senator uh, Tom yeah. Cotton. Cotton. You know? Oh, man. So, like, <laughs> you know, so if you, yeah, so if you read uh, the New York Times, mm. it should give like an objective uh, perspective. Oh, so uh, uh, these are all the good things about China. Mm. These are all the bad things about China. And uh, these are the strengths 
and uh, these are the weaknesses, you know. Uh, but instead, what happens is it's just like mm. nonsensical propaganda. They have uh, journalists who don't speak a word of Chinese, mm. who probably have never been to China, and uh, they choose people who don't like China, mm. you know. Yeah, so, it does look like that, yes. Yeah, and uh, sometimes they would choose these uh, uh, Chinese people from uh, with Taiwan, and then uh, they come with with like a whole bunch of uh, uh, psychological baggage, you know, so mm. they cannot see anything good. And uh, mm. so it's really, you know, uh, they're doing something very bad for the U.S., Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because uh, this is the whole reason that uh, the U.S. missed out on mm -hmm. uh, China's rise. Mm -hmm. And uh, th uh, this is the whole reason that uh, the U.S. Uh, outsourced uh, the high-tech manufacturing to China, you know? So, like, if uh, the U.S. were smart, uh, they would have just, uh, you know, stuck to uh, shoes and shirts. <laughs> uh, they would have, you know, I mean, that would have been uh, the Machiavellian thing to do, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, like, they should have totally protected uh, the high-end manufacturing. Uh, but instead, uh, so now, uh, like, what happens is uh, the CEO of Raytheon, he came and uh, he, uh, he gave, like, an interview. And uh, he said the Raytheon's missiles and whatnot, they mm. uh, depend on thousands of Chinese suppliers. Mm. Okay. So that's a strategic uh, blunder for the U.S. So how can you... <laughs> U.S. go to war with China when all their... Well, that gives me hope, actually, that the U.S. has failed to protect its logistics and supply chain to the point where maybe conflict between China and the United States is now possible. So that's kind of like a good outcome if you if you look at it from another angle. That's true. That's true. What do you think yeah. the addition... So Xi Jinping, when he was in San Francisco, uh, he proposed 50,000 U.S. students he didn't specify college students, so maybe it's high school or college, I'm not sure. 50,000 U.S. students come to China to study. I think this is a fantastic idea, and I wish that this would happen because maybe America would learn a lot more about China to all kinds of advantage. What do you think that this potentially could do for Sino-U.S. relations? Wow. I mean, maybe uh, this is the uh, the best thing that could happen for the world, you know? Just imagine uh, 50,000 people going to China and they see, oh my God, this is like amazing. I love the streets. I love uh, the subways. We are so behind in America. And I don't see uh, uh, the homeless tents and beggars and mm. drug addicts on the street. And I don't see protests and polarization. People are just mm. uh, happy as one country. They have good values. It's a stable, safe society. And uh, the women could be walking around Shanghai and Beijing at, at uh, midnight with no fear. So... Uh, you know, and then uh, that would make them ask, why don't we have this in America? Mm. You know, mm. and um, and uh, they could be the bridge between mm. uh, the two countries, mm. you know, uh, because uh, a lot of the times if you like one person, uh, then you like the whole uh, country. Yeah, that's know, true. Like a lot of people. I was talking to someone recently from England. He said he didn't have a very positive opinion about China his whole life until 2019. And he met a Chinese lady in, in uh, Manchester. And then she told him what she thought of China. And he was like, oh, wow, China's not bad after all. <laughs> so yeah, one person can make a massive difference. So those 50,000 students, imagine most of them return home. So 40, 45, 49,000, whatever, go back to the United States and have very positive stories to tell about their experience in China. I think that would be great. And I agree with you completely. I, I really think a lot of Americans, we can learn about how to improve our own society by looking at example, not just China. I'm not trying to say China's like the perfect country, but Americans, like you said at the beginning of the show, could travel around the world and take like the best pieces of different things to try to improve our own society. But our media tells us America's number one. America, go. So like we don't end up learning from other countries and our media misrepresent not just China, but a lot of nations, a lot of cultures around the world. And so the consequence, the outcome of that is we don't improve because we think we're already the best. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge, 
next question, you know, before Blinken came, before Gavin Newsom came, before Yellen came, before Wang Yi went to Washington, D.C., we had Tim Cook, we had Elon Musk, we had, you know, massive uh, titans of U.S. industry come to China and meet publicly with uh, leadership in China, with the, the central government in China. And it looked like they were kind of paving the way for the normalization of Sino-U.S. relations. Um, what do you think that companies like Apple and Yum Brands and Tesla, why are they pouring trillions of dollars into China if senators like Tom Cotton are saying China is bad, you know, don't you shouldn't even talk to what was the CEO of TikTok, Chu. You shouldn't even be talking to people in China. Like, do you know people in China? Do you like Chinese food? It was a, it was awful. So, like, why is it that the you know there are leaders saying beware of China, and in the meantime, titans of industry are running into China as fast as they can? Yeah, it's a very uh, love hate relationship between the U.S. and China. <laughs> so. If you read uh, the media, it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, China is going to collapse. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm. China is going to take over the world. You know, it's like, guys, <laughs> make up your mind, yeah. you know, what is it? <laughs> so if you uh, like go back to uh, the 19th century, Rockefeller, you know, uh, he fully understood uh, the Chinese market. So uh, he gave away these, I mean, uh, the kerosene lamps in China. And uh, uh, this was the first uh, freemium model in the world uh, because he's like, okay, so I'm going to give hundreds of thousands of uh, free uh, kerosene lamps to uh, the Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I will give the first uh, free uh, in a bottle of uh, uh, the kerosene. And uh, once they get used to uh, the wonders of the lamp, mm. and then they're going to go, you know, buy more oil from uh, Rockefeller. Mm. Now, so uh, since those times, oh, and also uh, that Rockefeller's uh, grandson, he came with Nixon in uh, 1972 wow. to China. And uh, so he was the uh, uh, the chairman of uh, the Chase Manhattan Bank. Mm. So uh, uh, the corporate world of China, they fully understand the value of the Chinese market, the Chinese workers. Uh, but here is the twist. They are also a little bit afraid of the Chinese, mm -hmm. right? So the, uh, they want... Um, uh, uh, the perfect Chinese, you know, who are rich enough to uh, buy Tesla, mm -hmm. but not uh, smart enough uh, to compete with with uh, mm -hmm. Tesla. Mm -hmm. uh, they want uh, the Chinese to be rich enough to buy an iPhone, but not uh, smart enough to make uh, Xiaomi <laughs> and so on. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so that's the uh, struggle or uh, the dilemma that uh, they face. Uh, you know, but I say that uh, the U.S. is a very, I mean, or at least uh, was a very smart country, you know. <laughs> so if you look at, you know, so if you look at uh, the history of the U.S. in uh, uh, the 19th century and in the first half of uh, the 20th century, you know, like you see how people were so innovative and so creative and so bold and uh, daring, you know, mm. whether it's... Uh, uh, the Wright brothers, or uh, Henry Ford, or uh, with Thomas Edison, and uh, the U.S. They uh, will invented cell phones, uh, the internet, uh, GPS, semiconductor chips, blah blah blah. You know. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened to that U.S.? Mm. You know, uh, that U.S. is uh, kind of gone. You know, <laughs> so now they're feeling so insecure, so paranoia. Mm. Oh, please save me from the Chinese products. <laughs> Come on, you know, make better products. Yeah, make, make the know? new thing. Yeah, exactly. Our last question, um, you know, de-dollarization is something that gets thrown around a lot lately. Uh, and different people say very, very different things about what they think it is what they think it will do, when they think it will happen. What are your thoughts on de-dollarization? 
Yeah, uh, uh, that has already uh, started to happen, and it got accelerated when uh, the U.S. and uh, the EU placed uh, sanctions on uh, Russia, hmm. and they stole they stole like three hundred billion dollars of Russia's uh, foreign exchange, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, totally illegal. Mm-hmm. And now uh, the rest of the world is thinking, well, hold on, you know, so I have uh, billions and billions of dollars in uh, the U.S. Banks, mm-hmm. you know. So, for example, like if you take uh, my country, India, we have three hundred billion dollars of the foreign exchange in uh, the U.S. dollars and U.S. Treasuries, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, w- uh, where do we keep it? Uh, uh, you know, we don't keep it in uh, the Indian banks. We keep them in uh, the American banks. Mm. So uh, we could wake up uh, tomorrow, and uh, the U.S. could just uh, seize all of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is why you know uh, BRICS is uh, doing a de-dollarization, mm. and if you look at uh, Russia-China trade, it's now ninety-five percent of the Russia-China trade is uh, happening in yuan and uh, rubles. Mm. And uh, the Russians in China, I mean, uh, the Russians living in Russia, uh, they can go to a bank and uh, uh, they can open up an account in uh, Chinese yuan. Mm -hmm. So uh, the internationalization Mm -hmm. of uh, yuan is uh, rapidly accelerating. And if you look at uh, China's uh, trade, uh, more than half of that is actually happening in yuan. Mm. So the U.S. should uh, wake up and it should prepare for the world beyond the U.S. dollar. That's a really good way of putting it. Uh, Thank you uh, so much for your time. Uh, You know, you are really insightful and amazing person. I'm glad that I'm following you on X. What is your handle on X? It's uh, Canton 2030. Right. Look for Canton 2030 on X and you won't be disappointed. His analysis is amazing. I look at everything you post. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your time, listeners. Thank you so much, Jason. I really enjoyed it.